Rodney, talk to me. Theocrine. 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 Uh, man, I know. I think it's from a plant. Okay. But uh, so yeah. I was looking for caffeine replacements. Yeah. That are kind of uppers. Yeah. And which uh, would be a replacement for caffeine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And theocrine is one that came up, and actually it is, but the effects for me are very similar. Except I can sleep. But you don't do you not get the like crash or uh no I didn't get a crash because I took L theanine with it so uh-huh. I kind of smoothed it out and but I, I I got like super hyper which you do anyway but so like why why this over over caffeine yeah uh because the way it affects the like the receptors the that pick system. up the caffeine like it's just a little uh, gentler I guess mm. and is more like some of the studies have shown that it's better for sleep than caffeine. Mm. So I was just trying something different because mm. like coffee, I can't do, yeah. I can do tea, but yeah. I can't do coffee with caffeine. Interesting. So I'm just like looking for stimulants basically yeah. to get me through Especially with my babies. young children's yeah. lives. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but no, it was cool. It's like, it's, it's a good tool to have on hand. You know, what's weird is I forget what you said. What was the name of it? Theocrine. Theocrine. Okay. I kept wanting to say theanine. Not to be, well, I did say L-theanine. Yeah. And also why. not to be confused with creatine. Right, because we're not trying to get big. Well, I am, but, you know, I don't take creatine. Interesting. Oh, okay. Ladies and gents, I am Brenda Nova, the past guest here with Keith and Rodney, and I'm very pleased to introduce today's show. We warmly welcome you to the More in Common podcast, a place that explores the fact that we have more in common than that which divides us by anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. And as a past guest, I'm so thankful to have met these dudes, and I support that they value the diversity in each guest yet recognize at the same time that at our core, we're all connected. And it's that flow, that harmony of the uniqueness and the similarities that I feel could take humanity to unlimited possibilities. And I really appreciate that they touch on not only thought, but emotion provoking topics. So I know you'll enjoy today's show. Now to find all things more in common, Visit their website at moreincommonpod.com. There you'll find more episodes, merchandise, blogs. And of course, if you like what you hear, give them a like in your favorite podcast app and leave them a review and make sure to share, share, share. So this is season two of 2020 and they've dubbed it a decade possible. And season two is entitled Discovery. So today's episode is with Jewel. And here these gentlemen touch on yet another thought and emotion provoking topic regarding mental health, specifically in black communities, black men in black communities. And here Jewel will touch on what his practice offers, generational trauma, spirituality and its influence, healthy masculinity, what that means, and much, much more. So sit back, Relax and enjoy today's amazing conversation with the Jewel. 
but it's also branding right masculinity is a brand femininity is a brand think about it from a i think about it from a, a marketing business perspective these are all labels and people attach stories to labels they're teams it's the broncos it's the um it's the men it's the uh it's the raiders and my team has all these heroes and we've had defeats yada 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 uh, we have colors we have flags we have you name it traditions rituals ceremonies it's the same thing for masculinity i i believe so this question of is there intrinsically something about it sure probably yeah sure i don't know hard for me to name pinpoint but i also know it's a culture and that it's a brand as well that people are psychologically buying into and identities are important as well for people All right, here we are. We are sitting here with Jewel Love. Jewel, how are you today? Doing great. Jewel is a licensed psychotherapist and the CEO of Black Executive Men. His company helps black men in corporate America find inner peace. They do so through psychotherapy, medication management, and corporate wellness programs. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of goodness, Jewel. A lot of good. Absolutely. Can't wait to can't wait to get into that. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're glad to have you. So. Um, real quick, and I don't know how quick this is going to be. I think this is going to be a long one. But on our show, we've actually spent a lot of time talking about mental health and mental illness. Um, and we've actually discussed, especially if we go back to one of our previous episodes with Kwame, the challenges in managing mental health specifically for black men in the black community. Now, being that you focus a lot on this, I'm very curious to dive into that and and understand like what is unique about you know mental health for black males and what challenges are faced within the community that maybe make it more difficult to to manage it um your perspective yeah yeah good questions um so not all the time but i did some research um that said black people typically want to i actually wasn't typically it's 50 50 50 want to see uh, another black clinician, and then 50% don't want to see. They want to see a clinician that's non-black. But that leaves that 50% uh, that want to work with a black clinician. And there's just so few uh, black clinicians, especially black male clinicians or clinicians of color, um, that really could be bridges to help more uh, black men and men of color come into therapy in the first place. So I think uh, one of the main challenges is just not seeing a lot of uh, black male therapists or uh, uh, men of color who are therapists um, in the industry and for black men in general thinking that's not something that we do. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big piece and a barrier. Um, I also think it's just a, it's a cultural piece. It's looked at as a very white and Jewish communal cultural uh, practice, which uh, originally it is. Um, and, um, you know, other cultures and black community and African community have other forms of healing and talk healing, but this unique, uh, approach, you know, more recently does come out of the white and Jewish community. So there's been a bit of, um, and for, uh, a lot of black people more than a bit, but around apprehension, uh, you know, we saw the whole movie get out and 
you know, one of the core mm-hmm. yeah. villains was a psychiatrist. You know, this is the highest you get in our field. This is a medical doctor that has additional training to mm-hmm. uh, prescribe medications, psych meds, and was using it in this. There's like an archetypal, there's like archetypal themes um, yeah. within American culture and black American culture. And that's been one about medical establishment uh, misusing their power to run devious schemes, you know, testing, things like that. And, uh, and so they pulled that card in that movie. Why? Well, it's because that narrative already runs deep, um, as far as a, like a deep fear, deep seated fear in the black community. So I think there's that as well of, am I going to be a misunderstood, be misdiagnosed, C, um, consciously kind of, um, um, or I should say maliciously um, treated in this healing process, what's meant to be a healing process. And, uh, and, and how will I know, you know, cause a lot of trust comes in to mental health. So, you know, that whole process of opening up one's mind, emotions and psyche uh, when uh, there's historically been a lot of racial tension, hurt wounds uh, between black and white people. Um, it just, create some barriers for a lot of black people to enter into mental health. Have you, have you found or in, in the research or just in your conversations within the community, what, what have you found about even just some of the, just like going even deeper into the stigmas uh, against talking? I mean, cause I think, I think about my family specifically, like us talking about issues and, the potential weakness that that uncovers. Um, and then like even, so that was kind of taboo, let alone considering talking to someone outside of the family, uh, a therapist, a head shrinker, as we called them growing up, like, no, 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 like you're not gonna do that. What, do, do you have any more information or thoughts around like wh- what that is or where that's coming from? I mean, I think you named it. There's a couple of probably pieces that come to mind, A, you don't share the business outside of the family. Uh, B, if you speak to a therapist, you're crazy. Crazy meaning um, you're mentally unstable in a way that is actually culturally foreign to being black. Um, You know, those terms such as bipolar and depression, I think probably until more recently, I have not heard that used a whole lot in the black community. So crazy can often mean a departure from even being black. Um, I I know that sounds weird, but this is more on a cultural level. Um, as in, we don't, we don't do that, um, kind of a thing. So if that's you, then you're different from us. Uh, We don't understand you fully anymore. And there's a piece around, you know, managing your blackness, which, that comes into it, mental health, you know, and what you can do or say to be included in the, the cultural black norms and what will put you outside of that. So I think that's a piece, you know, managing one's blackness, that component. Also, um, managing one's masculinity, if we're talking about men specifically, and you named weakness as um, being perceived as weak and that being a challenge to one's male identity. Uh, will they be included? Uh, will they um, be able to participate fully in the realm of men, manhood and masculinity, fatherhood, perhaps? Um, 
or will they be shunned or ridiculed or alienated uh, for appearing vulnerable or weak or less than or mentally unstable uh, or ill, something like that. Yeah. Or dangerous, actually. Where does, I don't know, th this kind of crazy is born to being black. Mm -hmm. um, associating it directly to managing your blackness, like mm -hmm. where where do you think that comes from, like culturally? Yeah, you know, I was doing a um, I was doing a two hundred person uh, uh, webinar with a company, and um, uh, somebody well. At least that's what I was told. How many people were on the line? It's kind of hard to tell with these webinars. You can't really see exactly who's there on my end. Yeah, who's paying attention or who's. That's what I was told. So it's like that's dumb. And uh, somebody uh, chimed in, um, and they said, "I'm African, and mental health or mental illness doesn't exist where I come from." And how I took that is not that it doesn't like people don't actually have mental illness, but it's so. Um, it's so t maybe taboo um, to discuss or sure. knowledge that in the collective psyche, it doesn't exist um, for them. So I think there's, you know, clear, definitely something going right back to Africa. Now you're going to have healers from, from African lineages and teachings and, and com healing communities and African-Americans that are in touch with African spirituality and they could probably cite all these ways in which mental health is looked at as you know maybe yeah like a like just a, just a, a health concern or there's something spiritual about it like that person has a spiritual gift or perspective for the community but not as far as the just the western terminologies uh how they're used out here um I think those are is that, is that what you meant earlier when you said in the lineage or in the, the in the lineage of black culture there are alternative ways of managing it that may separate it from the white Jewish cultural practice of mental illness mental health so it might starts it separates there first um yeah, I'm not too familiar. I'm familiar with some things like, you know, some West African spiritualities, mm -hmm. uh, Ifa, Vudun, lightly, just very, you know, passingly. But they do have certain methods and remedies for when somebody is ill. It, it probably, and including some, you know, mental illnesses and mental challenges. Um, you know, different herbal remedies, different spiritual remedies, uh, different rituals, etc. But I'm not as well versed um, in exactly what those are. So it'd be hard for me to say. Um, but I know, you know, uh, growing, so I'm biracial, white mom, black dad. So spending time in uh, with my dad's family and in the black community, that's just not something that we would talk about mental health. I think if mental health things came up, what I perceive them now, like drug use, maybe somebody was addicted to crack cocaine or alcohol, or somebody was just always lacking energy, like constantly, no energy, very negative in their outlook. We wouldn't call it depression. 
and we wouldn't call it, um, we didn't even call it addiction. Um, we would just say they're tired or you just gotta, you know, you just gotta keep going. Um, or, you know, you just say things like, I don't know, I was just looking back and like, we definitely talk about AA meetings. Like that's definitely woven itself into the black community, A and NA. But that same language, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really there. And it's coming now. What about, yeah. I was just going to say. What? Yeah, go ahead. What lets me know there's a difference is because there's currently a trend around black mental health now. So we see, you know, Kanye West talking about bipolar uh, disorder. We see Common talking about love, uh, love addiction. Uh, we see Taraji, you know, from Empire talking about uh, there's a crisis of mental health, not, you know, lack of energy, not uh, like just, you know, social fears, but mental health. So those clinical words are actually starting to be used, which come out of the field of clinical psychology, more so in the black community. People are naming trauma specifically as trauma, not just being hurt inside per se. Mm. Although that would be a step in, I think, the right direction as well. So I didn't hear that when I was growing up. The internet wasn't as popping how it is now. Um, you know, people hadn't kind of, millennials hadn't quite come of age yet. Um, now you got Gen Zers and they're just more open to talk about mental health in those terms than they were when I was growing up. Um, so that could just be a cultural thing, not just a black community thing, but there is a way for mental health in the black community now, which shows me there is a difference. What do you make of generational trauma? Like Keith just brought that up there and I, I would say the, the black community in America has got a lot of different things going on, going back to slavery. Like, how does that, how, how do you see that manifest or do you see it manifest? Is that even a thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm just sitting with those like three questions or more on the table. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about mental health and then to circle back around to um, uh, Roddy's uh, two questions is it really requires vulnerability um, for one to open up. And at the core, at the bottom of vulnerability is uh, safety for somebody to feel safe um, and have a level of trust in uh, the person that they're sharing with is not going to use that information against them in some harmful way. Mm -hmm. um, that it's not going to come back, uh, you know, in the relationship somehow or uh, through some medication that may harm them or on the job somehow. Uh, it really requires that that's established. And just going back to race relations in this country there's been so much uh so many actions and reasons for mistrust to uh, occur i mean we're just you know you know slavery ending uh, 150 plus years ago but then you have segregation mm -hmm. ending and you know just what 70 60 years ago 60 years ago not even yeah. not even so you have people alive you know that are still yeah. have that um very real visceral experience and what that was like on a social level and there's still you know plenty of things i'm sure we can point to uh here today so 
I think um, that kind of weaves in then to Rodney, uh, maybe some of your questions about the cultures um, coming together. And, you know, definitely, I think we're like, we're super in a mashup area. Like I'm on Upwork and my designer's out in uh, Pakistan and I got some dude, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, uh, a woman doing some data entry in the Philippines and, you know, it's you know, being biracial myself and just living in California, growing up in a very multicultural environment. My friends were all, you know, black, Chinese, Filipino, white, you, know, you name it. Um, and I think in these uh, major cities, that's just very normal. People are just very, people are just very multicultural compared to previous generations. Um, although that's not unique to America, right? You have plenty of empires and collabos between cities throughout times. Uh, Rome. You get Rome. Uh, it, it's just nothing, nothing particularly new, but we have a new combination and we have the internet. So, and tech. Yeah. Tech. And so people can now be from a small little village out in, you know, wherever and tune, you know, read the Wall Street Journal, you know, see what's popping, mm-hmm. you know, on Main Street, on Broadway. So I think people get to learn about these mental health concepts and learn about them in ways and voices that speak to them, which leads to uh, not exactly to the uh, intergenerational trauma piece, but more on the solutional focus. And I'm down to go back there um, is a black executive men. Um, what it does is it's really an amalgam of a lot of different concepts that come together that, speak to my specific audience. Um, Mm. You know, if it was just like Main Street uh, healing, it's like, okay, who's that speak to? I don't know, you know, it's very, it's very general. Uh, But I'm big into studying uh, systems and for men around healthy masculinity, how to reach men in ways that we've already bought into. We've already sold on them conceptually and they affirm our maleness rather than, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. They affirm our maleness. And so it's easy to say yes, right? Uh, there are certain things that men have already agreed to. We've already agreed to sports. We've already agreed to that. We've already agreed to many of us like, like you know, business or work or making money. Like we've already agreed to that. Um, a lot of us, you know, have already agreed to, uh, I said sports, I said work. Um, well, you kind of get you, you kind of get where I'm going. Yeah. So yeah. Like success. So black executive men was I had a general private practice. I pretty much knew I wanted to work with black men. Uh, there's a longer story for that, which I'd love to share. But um, yeah. I was like, how am I going to get brothers in psychotherapy? Now, people were telling me. Joel, it's not going to work. You know, black men don't come to therapy. The numbers, you know, and our numbers are low. Let's keep it, you know, like our numbers are compared to other communities. They're pretty low. Um, and then it was black men can't afford therapy. And I was seeing something different because many of my clients already were black men that were coming mm-hmm. regularly for therapy. We're doing excellent work in session. Uh, we're paying for it or their corporation was paying for it, or their insurance was, was, was uh, reimbursing them for it. And I was seeing something different. Um, so I niched down with black executive men. And so with that brand, you don't even know what I'm selling with black executive men. And I say selling because it's business 
and therapy. Capitalist society, you got to, you know, got to make a dollar, got to pay that rent check, that mortgage bill. Um, and I'm here to thrive for sure. Um, and I've always been business minded. My father's an entrepreneur. Um, so I was like, what's going to hit? Like, what's going to smash? And I want to create a name for myself in the psychotherapy industry and in the black community. Contributions to both. You know, I want my name to be in both books. Um, and the healthy masculinity industry, which is just kicking off right now. We're in like a second wave. 80s, we had the first wave with the Mankind Project response to don't get me on, on one of the waves of feminism. A lot of guys started getting divorced by their wives, finding more women competing with them in the workplace, and then started to turn to each other for emotional support. And then that movement kind of got co-opted, died down by more of the hard-hitting uh, extremists. They would call the men's activists, uh, men's rights activist community. And then that's how that community got dubbed. And now since Me Too hit, there's a whole resurgence of younger men in their 20s and 30s and early 40s that are launching men's communities and corporate America is taking note. And they're starting to shift their advertising of men being just these traditional roles or being dumb. I'm sorry to say, but kind of like a, like a poking fun at men to a more mm -hmm. heart-centered man uh, mm -hmm. but that takes care of business. It's like a, it's like a hybrid. So I, I really do want to make impacts on all three of those areas. And that's the sweet spot for black executive men. It's not just psychotherapy. It's men, a lot of men psychologically want to lead. And at this time, it's questionable. Like male leadership uh, in some circles has become questionable um, as though it's a bad or negative thing. You know, that, that's also a time we're in right now. So this is an area where men can full out run and lead. And we're called, uh, we're called the golden rhinos in black executive men, um, it, which is another story. So just to wrap this up, put a bow on it. Um, this is bigger than individual psychotherapy, what I'm up to. It's about how do we make this culture of psychotherapy, not just about therapy, but I'm creating a hybrid culture. Uh, that includes brotherhood, corporate success, and mental health as kind of a redefinition of black maleness and manhood. And, you know, black maleness and manhood is an industry. Uh, when you look at the porn industry, uh, you know, that's not really controlled by black people, you know, how our sexuality and virility is looked at, but it's worth so much. And when you look at sports, it's mainly the same thing. We're not the owners mm -hmm. most times of those teams, but our blackness and, and maleness is it's harnessed and it's 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 got a high dollar price tag on it in many circles. It's Super high. At the apex um, around masculinity, especially when you get into like the physical arena. So this is looking, you know, at it being another lane and adding a healing component in addition to what those 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 lanes already are so there's a much bigger mission focused agenda that i have and that black executive men has toward healing yeah that there's easily 30 questions <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm like okay we got some places to go in this conversation questions before they got i know i know we're no, going like, in the direction yeah we're, we're, we're there yeah i think 
for one, like I think the first one I wrote down, I want to start here is um, healthy masculinity. Like you talked about wave one, is wait was wave two kicked off by me too, or did it did it kick off prior to me too? Where where would you say it kicked off? You know, um, it, uh, I would say. I would say wave one and wave two are just things that I just made up off top. Like, I think we could, really, I like it though. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it creates a really good and current mental frame. Um, but I just want to provide a little context around that and then jump into it to yes, to answer your question. Yes. But the context is we're looking at male identity, male identity, formation, rites of passage, initiation. So this is ancient archetypal. When I say archetypal, I mean, what's happening in a live on the unconscious collective unconscious realm, individual unconscious realm in the level of the quote unquote soul, which is for me, one in the same. And that connects to Jung's interpretation of, of the psyche. So that's all ancient and that's universal. No matter what culture you go in, there's like some kind of rites of passage or cultural norms for male maleness and manhood identity formation. <clears throat> So then you get to America, Christianity has been a big part of that. And then you get the sixties and there's kind of like a breakdown, you know, of, um, looking at Christianity, maybe to the go-to of that identity formation, you get, uh, Eastern influences coming in a lot of Buddhism, Hinduism comes in and the, uh, psychedelic scene comes in. And so it's just like a mind blowing time for traditionalism probably say um and we'll probably lean more toward the white community is what i'm referencing right now i can't necessarily speak for the black community on that one um it's just not what i'm fully referring to um right but then you get uh today or the 80s same thing i think more in the white community there was like this uh, conscious questioning around like vulnerability masculinity uh relationships with women um in the workplace, at home, gender roles, um, and, and kind of the freedom to do so, um, and the cultural leanings to do so. And then that kind of died, died down as far as I think media attention or awareness, right? Like there was more workshops, like the Michael Meads, the Maladoma Somes, uh, were just like had full popping off men crying for the first time, right? You think about the 1950s, you think about earlier world war two area the greatest generation they call them awesome you know awesome war that they won you know um and uh, as far as you know america canada allies etc and uh it was like stiff upper lip get it done and then that started to fall apart and men started to go in and kind of embrace the feminine the traditional feminine of emotions emotionality etc and then it kind of died down and then you get me too which has really been a it, it's it, man that's been like a, a, a it's been amazing in that and painful and that it's been a fire that's just like you know uh, heard this like Native American that's like acorns on the ground and then they actually need like a, something to come through and clean the brush so how I heard it was like they need a fire to come through mm. in order to collect the resources on the ground. But the people around them were like, oh, you don't want to fire, yada, yada. But it's part of their ecosystem. So when we look at the psyche and we look at human development and social development, those fires are actually really important to bring the next generation of something forward, even though they can be very painful. It's like giving birth, ask a mother how good that feels, but it's required to give life. 
So here we have, yeah. yeah, so here we have me too. <clears throat> you know, it's a lot of pain in that dudes who have been on top and treating women, you know, poorly or taking advantage of them or outright raping, you know, molestation, things of that nature or, or harassment um, are getting checked left, right, uh, and uh, losing positions of power and status. And so it's questioning for a lot of men, young and old, how do we relate with women now? Do we hug them or is that harassment? <laughs> like, is that, am I liable? For, it's just like a lot of questioning around that. And I think for men knowing that we could lose a job or lose a relationship or lose status or lose money or lose dignity, <clears throat> it really leads a lot of us toward inquiry uh, because we now have a lot at risk. So I've seen more men turn to men for, bro, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm angry about it. I'm frustrated about it, or I understand it, or yes, I support it. But it's turning a lot of us toward each other for accountability. Um, and not just in the realm of sexual assault or treatment of women, but also for goals, accountability, things of that nature. Um, so there's younger movements I have an organization it's called Urban Healers, which focuses on healthy masculinity, specifically intergenerational, uh, multicultural, based out of Oakland. And we're looking to launch leaders, men who you reach niche audiences in unique ways with what's launching right now and to actually lead careers around communities of healthy masculinity. But that's not the only one. There's a lot of communities out there that are just going right now. Like now is the time to get on board. How do you define healthy masculinity? Like I understand down. where it comes from, right? The the term, like the 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 pretense of masculinity itself. But like, how do you how do you define healthy masculinity? You know what comes for me is um, something around. Um, no, that's a tough one. I, I told a guy once, I was like uh, sitting down having a chat and uh, I was like, well, it's around men tapping into their emotions. And he was like, well, I think it should be about men stepping into their power because men feel powerless right now. And I was like, damn, that's both true. Um, and so I think it really is about men stepping into our power um, in accordance with what's happening in the times um, that healthy can change over time. And so it's looking, it's kind of a discovery phase of what's going to be healthy for society and what's healthy for individuals now. Um, so I don't exactly have a specific answer. I can tell you for me what healthy masculinity looks like. It looks like, uh, going to take it ethereal, but being aligned with my soul's purpose and calling, uh, which is very mission focused in the work that I'm doing, the healing work that I'm doing. Um, it's about being able to address, uh, uh, places that I feel insecure or have felt insecure in my life um, and finding healing for that within. So when I think of healthy, I think of well, what's unhealthy. And sometimes the socialization of men leads to unhealthy um, or damaging thoughts and feelings. Um, and so then healthy masculinity is an opportunity to maybe address some of the socialization of men that isn't always positive and try and find a healthier way forward. So it's wrapped up in individuation as well. I grew up in hip hop culture. I don't listen to hip hop as much as I used to. Um, I like hip hop. I find, I find that same thing for myself too. 
You want to speak on that one? Uh, I I haven't. I don't think I put a lot of thought into it, but I just I realized that recently I've listened to a lot less hip hop than other stuff. Uh, I it, I think part of it's a feeling I get, but then there's there's also some probably where you're gonna say some of the some of the negative sides of how women are talked about and how um, and it, that, that that it doesn't exist in other music, um, but it it seems to be far more pervasive and just some of the things that are glorified I just don't see as helpful uh, in general specifically to the black community that is t- tends to be talking to. Um, but yeah, for me, I just, I've found myself listening less. What, what about why for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just gonna, so to answer that question, you know, when I grew up, that was like my view of a man, you know, my view of a man was probably a few. I mean, there's my dad, um, but hip hop held a, like culturally or just like socially internally, it just held such a big influence on me and uh and as well as i grew up in a buddhist community so there's a very powerful buddhist uh, leader over an international buddhist organization so those are my main and then my grandfather on my mom's side he was like world war ii vet so those are probably like my main four sources of influences but hip-hop was it was super cool um i love the lyricism i love the aggression the raw aggression uh that's in the hip-hop community uh, I love the intelligence of working with words. I love the connection to black culture, how that weaves that in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how hip hop can talk about the underworld. It talks about the underbelly of society. that's like inappropriate to talk, you know, drugs and pimps and hoes and sex and like all of those things that nobody was talking to me about as a boy, but they were su- super curious, like, whoa, what's going on, <laughs> you know? I got aggression, like, oh, dope. This is where I can talk about it, you know. Where I can take it out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm coming into my sexual power, you know. It's it's it the the on switch is flipped on, and you know it's gone. I'm in junior high school, high school, etc. Where can I talk about it? Hip hop, um, you know, black community, black culture. It's like that's the place where it's you know, like that was the black history culture. You know, that was the place that it was welcomed and accepted on some level socially. So that was really awesome for me. But now, you know, I still have that aggression, uh, not in the same way, but driven, like I'm super driven. And I found a channel for it that feels super rewarding for me. So my outlet is really in business and in my work and in helping my clients things like that. So I found what feels like a really healthy outlet for that aggression and for black culture and for male identity formation. Um, that's not really all wrapped up in the hip hop culture. I'm a rapper. I rap. I'm going to weave in rap to black executive men uh, because men, we've already agreed on that for the most part. And it's still a, it's still a big part of me, a, a significant, a medium part of me. Um, but I just found outlets for those psychological pieces of me and other places that feel more resonant with who I actually am inside. Yeah. You, so this is interesting because you've said a lot of things um, about like you've got military representation of what your male identity um, examples were, uh, hip hop. Um, your dad, which we'll have to get into because you've alluded to him a couple of times and then brushed past. Um, 
but just like there, there are multiple and things. And Buddhist. Yeah, in Buddhism. Thank you. And then you have um, your perspective of what healthy masculinity is to you, and then this other person said their power. So let's strip all the, the adjectives away because this is a conversation Rodney and I have. Like masculinity, like what? This is something I have a hard time reconciling. Like, what is it? I think it's. Like, I mean, people. I think we generally just say, "Oh, I, I get it. I can. I can tell when I see it." But like, really, what is it? Because I don't. I don't understand it for my life. Like, it's yeah. something when other people talk about it. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is attributes of maleness. That's just off top, like gut level. Uh-huh. You know, is it a Merriam-Webster? Does it a, a, a ascribe to all everybody else's definition? Yeah, no, no. I probably I, maybe, but maybe not. Doesn't that's not what I'm yeah. calling for? Just gut level response, attributes of maleness. Um, but it's also branding, right? Masculinity is a brand. Femininity is a brand. Think about it from a. I think about it from a, a marketing business perspective. These are all labels, and people attach stories to labels. They're teams. It's the Broncos. It's the um, it's the men. It's the uh, it's the Raiders. And my team has all these heroes, and we've had defeats, yada yada yada. Uh, we have colors. We have flags. We have you name it. Traditions, rituals, ceremonies. It's the same thing for masculinity, I, I believe. So this question of is there intrinsically something about it? And, Sure, probably. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Hard for me to name pinpoint, but I also know it's a culture and that it's a brand as well that people are psychologically buying into and identities are important as well for people. Um, So yeah, it's kind of vague ish for me, I guess as well. But um, I mean, there's something that comes to mind around like yeah, I mean, basically, whatever I say, we could counter with something else. You know, I could say, well, this, and somebody, well, it's not, because you have other people that, don't, that do it as this, you know. Oh, for sure. Physicalism, well, there's women that do this, and that, well, it's this, and then, oh, well, there's women that have this, and that, 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 so how is it essentially a man thing? So it's like, in that realm, it's really hard for me to just say, well, this is what it is, or this is what it isn't. Um, but that's what comes to mind, is attributes of maleness, and that's very broad, and that's that, that's what I got. Yeah, as I say, let's define, like, do you, what do you, Keith, define toxic masculinity as? And Jewel, what do you define it as? Or do you define it? Uh, I'll let Jewel go first. <laughs> um, I, mean, I kind of want to hear what you were going to say to base, figure out my answer, Keith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I got an answer. So. Got, yeah, let's hear it. Then I'll, I'll um, what, what I believe. I, I, I think I define it as that, right? It's, it's the toxic behavior historically of men against other people themselves other men or in particularly females um this idea that i'm a man i can't i need to be violent or i need to be aggressive or and and i and i wrote down aggression from your perspective because jewel because i think you're using it in a different way and i wanted to ask you about that but we'll get to that um and i think of it more in terms of behavior that ultimately has treated other people as less than um which Mm -hmm. is very much historically across all societies for millennia a male characteristic Hmm. yeah okay uh what do you think Joel? 
Toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, may I ask why you, th I know you're thinking, may I ask, um, is it a term you would even use or do even use? Uh, I don't use it that much. Um, yeah, I don't find I, I use it too much. I think I may have used it a little bit more like when Me Too hit immediately because it was just so fervent mm -hmm. in the like social milieu. But uh, uh, I just, I think I gradually stopped using it. But, um, but I, but I, 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 huh. Yeah, I think for me around toxic masculinity, I think about social structures um, that would lead uh, men to uh, maybe harm themselves or harm uh, another in order to affirm one uh, non-consensually, right? Because we have MMA, right? We pay money to see men hurt each other. Um, they so. sign up to get in the ring together. That's right. Oh, yeah. And women do the same, right? And, and women do the same. So, yeah. um, so there's a market for that. It's not inherently bad or wrong, but it's consensual. Right. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah, just the non-consensual ways that uh, we've been socialized to harm one another, uh, or for men harming other people uh, or ourselves. Um, but I guess I also think of it in terms of. Um, for me, it kind of does come back to like the healing of why is it that it has to be weak for a man to um, reveal that he is, you know, struggling with something in life. Um, yeah. And so I think, I, I guess I think of it more in that terms these days as I do um, about men's treatment toward women. Um, but that's a huge part of it. I, mean, that's I think that's an interesting addition, like the harm to ourselves by repression because of cultural norms that say, don't speak up about yourself, right? Um, I think that's, I, I, I like that addition to it. I think that's, that's a really good insight. Well, I kind of, I wonder, when you were talking about masculinity, Keith, or your, mm, like trying to grasp it, my thought about it is that it's like, like you said, Jewel, it's a label, it's a construct, it's a cultural norm. It's something that by and large, many of us have agreed upon, which is actually a question I want to ask you about, Jewel, some of the agreements. But like, we've agreed on some things like, all right, these traits, we generally, gen generally, generally, that's the word, generally recognize as masculine, and then these we recognize as feminine. But then I think there's some blending of masculine and feminine and male and female, which makes sense on some levels and on others it doesn't right. a lot to me. Right. But I think um, it's just it's, it's interesting when you think about it as a construct because like Keith, what you were just saying, it's like, well, like we're just it's just it's just something we're labeling it. We're just calling it masculinity. So there's no. Um, it's just it's kind of it's it's so that we can we can conceptually understand it understand what we're seeing, but it's not necessarily limited to that in any any state or form. And it's hard for me to explain that because it's a very abstract thought. 
Um, but this yeah. has been a really awesome abstract conversation, which <laughs> I love abstract conversations. Um, I I have to. I don't know, Jewel, if you wanted to. I I have to take a pivot. Um, you said at the beginning mm-hmm. that there is a very small percentage of black clinicians, mm-hmm. especially male ones. Mm-hmm. Um, w- do you have an idea of what that percentage is? Uh, I think three, like three percent. That's like the magical number for like black stuff. Like three <laughs> percent. So what? <laughs> what got you into it? Especially, I mean, you talked about you know the you know hanging out with your your dad's family and no one talked about it. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you you have a white mom. I don't know if it was talked about on that side of the family, but like, how did you get into psychotherapy, and how did this become your calling? And that mm-hmm. will lead us into the story about how you came up with the black yes. executive. Yeah. Because, yeah, we're gonna okay. go there. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, my mom actually uh, took us to. Um, uh, family therapy when we were like little kids. So I don't, I don't even remember that. And I, so for me, therapy was still very foreign. Um, now she had, uh, I'm not gonna put all her business out there on the street, but she had, uh, 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 experienced therapy before and it wasn't good fit for her. So she had never really talked to me about it either. Um, uh, that side was very waspy, uh, meaning, uh, white Anglo-Saxon, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just like, you know, it's just like wear your best sweater to, you know, when we go to see grandma and grandpa and it's going to be like Waldorf salad, like classical, like white experience on Friday. Sounds but, good, guys. Yeah, yeah. Shit was good. Um, I love Waldorf. <laughs> I love the walnuts. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I'm like sorry. That sober. reminds me of that reminds me of that. one of my buddies made a comment. He's just like, "Why, why is why, why is all the good shit? Why is all the good yeah. stuff considered white?" He's like, "I like the good food. I like I like hiking. Go. I like snowboarding. Like, there why is that go. gotta be? Why can't black people do that?" Exactly. Exactly. So uh, sorry. To go get your Waldorf salad. Uh, um, <laughs> so yeah. So that was you know that was that family experience and. Um, you know, let's say Christmas Eve, I'd go over to my wife's side of the family, which we didn't call it that, you know, that was more of like how to tell the outside yeah. world. We go to grandma, grandpa's house on Friday. And, sure. that, and then we go to grandma's house on Saturday. And that was the black side. It was just very, you know, it was different. Like people go to the different sides of their family. And for us, that was just very normal. Um, so then I was in uh, LA at the time. Um, Boom. Yeah. So story. So I uh, was reading um, the autobiography of Malcolm, autobiography of Malcolm X in freshman year of college at UC Santa Barbara. Um, and I remember being on the basement floor of this big towers called uh, FT, which was known as Fuck Towers at the time. It was like, just, you know, cool. It was like cool at the time. Like, oh, you said FT? Fuck Tower. You know, just like that kind of thing. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I, anyway. I mean, 
It was just like a cool thing. It doesn't matter. Every, every, yeah. yeah. Every those, cool has. those dorms at Purdue, too. Like yeah. Every, you know, I had no idea, but I, lo and behold, that's where I end up. So there's like a reputation. It doesn't really matter. It was just funny. So um, FT, bottom cultural four, norms. cultural norms, and reading Malcolm X. And, um, and so, you know, my family never talked about really slavery. I mean, my dad, you know, we had some moments, when, you know, he you need to see roots like we actually saw that and i was you know we saw like the series of it and it was just like awful but i was young i didn't it you know i was like sucks it's horrible why are we watching this but um when i like read that book i think just like the visceral like pain of being black just like just came in and i kind of like became in it like i embodied Malcolm X is like spirit for a while. And it just like ran my, it just ran me for like a while. How did that man, like what did that look like as an example? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I just became an activist, like, like mm. flat out. And, you know, we already had activism in the black community. And, and so I just became really well-versed, uh, majored in black studies and uh, just wanted to learn everything I could about that struggle. And, uh, you know, and so very, you know, uh, uh, it takes me time, but I watch and I see what's happening and I, I gravitate toward positions of power. So um, I saw how the Associated Student Government was organized for the UC system here in California. We have University of California school systems. They're, they're, they're pretty good school. They're good schools. and um, they all have uh, leadership bodies like they do at every school. Um, and so I was on one of those boards and all of the student governments had a connecting body, um, a statewide associated students, and they connect nationally as well. So it's like, dope. What we're going to do is connect all the BSUs, black student unions and African student unions in the UC system in the state of California under one organization so we could be a powerful force to be reckoned with. And we did that. And so I helped co-found ABC. It's called the African Black Coalition, still in existence today. Shout out to ABC. Um, but the more that we were successful in that realm, the worse I felt inside. So it was this paradox of, I mean, we had people from other student unions coming and like, like, is it okay if we mention this about the black community? Because we don't want to protest showing up at our door next week. Uh, mm. We had just gotten a lot of, prestige and notoriety probably um for being a student union you did not want to to really kind of cross even unintentionally because we were just very mm. like calling we were pulling everybody's card at that time um and i was very much driven and when, so I, when I say aggressive for me that just means driven that doesn't mean like physically physically tussling anybody like not just like that that like get it done and some people say well that's just assertive uh, so you know you could it, for me it's interchangeable it could be just assertive yeah uh, true so well so that happens and then i'm like you know what i've reached success here and i'm feeling bad about like i'm feeling worse inside than you know it's just not helping it's like getting worse so there's this paradox of external success and internal failure or something um, so I went on, you know, more of like a 
spiritual pilgrimage. And I went to do that in Los Angeles. You know, the last place you think you would go on a spiritual pilgrimage. So I that's why I'm yeah. I'm, I'm one step away from the full woo woo out here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's true. Touche. Yeah. Do you, you got do the you Agape think... Spirit Center, the yoga community, and yeah, uh, this this ashram. But you, you would, I mean, coming from the Midwest, like my family, I'm Christian family background, but it's like, don't go out to the land of the heathen. Like that's about to fall into the ocean. Like they're all, there's no, there's no, nothing good. So I, yeah, I, I, could, I, that, that I, take I could, I could get for sure. Okay. Water every time I talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it um, Do you there think you're you're growing up right. around? Buddhism helped you go to that place easier? Probably, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was already open to to Buddhism. So yeah. it was probably I was never close to it. Um, it was always like the principles and the concepts. Um, it was never a God religion. It was always a, a conceptual religion. Mm-hmm. Um about karma, things of that nature. If you you know, uh, do these, you know, well, yeah, I mean, kind of, there was like different chants. And so it was like, if you do chants or you do different prayers or mantras, then you'll have these positive outcomes, kind of like a ritual or a spell. But then under that, it was that you have karma and you can improve your karma, meaning you can improve like, kind of like how your life is going, your life condition. So for me, that was my underlying viewpoint of life is that we have agency, no matter what we actually have agency. And so I think that was one of the challenging things I found in studying uh, uh, like some of the black literature. And uh, when I saw like black slavery, I was like, no, there's no agency. Like this is some bullshit. Like these people were slave, bro. Like there was no, you, it wasn't about do this chant and you know, what is it? You like, you be peaceful as a slave. Like it, this shit, it just, so it broke my like it broke that religious like understanding. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's another whole universe happening over here where people don't have choice or, or et cetera. And so for me, that was so like shattering and it's so discombobulating and angering to think that, damn, like that's that's reality or how much of that is the reality or how much is that going to affect me in my life? Like, am I impressed going forward? Like, am I going to be held back in all these systematic ways that I previously was not aware of? Um, and if so, I hell, I'm super upset about that. And my experience wasn't really of that. It wasn't really of um, all these racial slights, like left and right. I think for me, it was probably, if anything, more of like class, because we grew up poor. So that that would probably come up, you know, more than I think, more than most things. And that didn't even come up there very much. So once I entered into the spiritual realm, back to, you know, having more kind of like agency over how my life goes, and then I stumbled into psychotherapy, which was dope because it recognized both. Um it recognized like social limitations um, and, and social realities, but then also personal agency at the same time. So it was this really good like hybrid reality um, uh, worldview that I got to you know stumble upon. That like yes, racism is real and oppression in all these ways, and you know you know you you know the different things that I might do to adjust to being 
you know, in certain spaces, like, yeah, there's all these reasons why it's real going back to his historical trauma. Um, and at the same time, is there anything you can do about it? Like, are there little ways that you can pivot or switch or shift or heal or converse or talk or find out if it's true um, as you move through the world? And that's what psychotherapy gave me. In addition to what felt like the bigger piece, which was it tapped me into me, which wasn't really about society as much as it was about a relationship with myself and my own soul. And for me, that was super freeing and liberating that society had kind of nothing to do with at all. Um, that was the place that was a place of oneness with me and myself and my higher. I don't, I don't really use higher power. That was, that was going to be a reach, uh, just my soul. Um, <laughs> that for me was super liberating and super freeing. So then it was a place of, yeah, no matter what's going on in the world, whether Trump's in office or Barack's in office, or they're having, you know, camps at the border, or we have a homeless crisis here going on in Oakland, or, um, you know, maybe having health issues or whatever, I still had like a place inside that I could cultivate that was, that could be free. And that's really what I wanted was that freedom. And so then that's what I'm bringing and a level of peace. And that's what I bring through black executive men is an opportunity for these guys who you'd be surprised, super successful. Um, you know, maybe they were the one that made it out of the hood or their family. And now they're just like killing it in corporate America or just doing really well, but they never really got the education of going inward and seeing what's in there. How did that childhood, you know, parent being on drugs or poverty or abuse or sexual abuse um, uh, or racial trauma, uh, how did that all affect you or, or flat out mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and giving a space for them to have that level of freedom and peace um, and saying that it's possible. Yep, even with what's going on, you can still have freedom. Yes. You can still have peace. Yes. Um, We're willing to hold that. And that's kind of where the rhino comes in. Our one word slogan is charge. Um, And the full out thing is leading the charge for healthy masculinity. So then there's a greater mission I was alluding to earlier, but there's a level of assertiveness it takes actually to with what's going on in society to find and maintain one's inner peace. Just, wow. like, um, there are a lot of places I want to go, and we only have eight minutes left. Um, round two conversation here. Well, I was thinking <laughs> we're probably gonna have to have you back because there's a lot in what you just said. Yeah, for for people listening, for black men listening that may want to work with you, they, they hear what you're throwing down. Like, what what would working with you be like? What what do you offer for? Uh, what does black man executive offer? Yeah, exactly. So great question. Um, so we have three offerings. Um, the first one is for black men in corporate America and it's individual psychotherapy services. These are 50 minute sessions. Um, they happen weekly or biweekly. Uh, fee is reasonable. So, uh, you know, we could talk about it, but be reasonable. And, um, that's an offer that's on the table for California residents only, not outside of California. It's just where my license is based and we don't have any other clinicians at this time working outside of California or in California for that matter. So that's one thing. Number two 
is the Golden Rhinos. So that is actually a community for healing uh, for Black men in corporate America that we're going to start doing some seminars soon. So you can visit at www.blackexecutivemen.com. It's spelled exactly how it sounds, blackexecutivemen.com. And then just go on the Golden Rhinos uh, link and just stay updated that way, get some info. Um, but really looking to build that community out with brothers all over the United States, if not over, you know, across the pond in, uh, in Europe and, and possibly in some other continents as well. Um, but to lead the charge for healthy masculinity and really channel our efforts in that way, but toward healing. Um, and I want that to be backed, uh, of course, individually, but also by corporations. Um, so that kind of leads into, so just imagine hundreds or thousands of black men at annual conferences, going through online mental health programs, uh, showing up, wearing the hoodie, uh, you know, rocking the neck, you know, the, 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 the inner piece wristband, um, just really like going hard on mental health. Um, mm. and it being a very healing space, something they can share with their partners and their kids. I'll and their be there. Um, <laughs> excellent. We got you as the keynote. Keith coming in. <laughs> keynote Keith. <laughs> Let me talk keynote to you about black mental health. <laughs> on, on it. So, uh, standing so. ovation. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, keeping it inclusive. So, um, the last piece is also really exciting. It's, uh, me working with, uh, ERGs. So these are employee resource groups. So actually what I'm doing, um, fortunate to have a couple, uh, contracts already under underway, excited about that, but definitely looking to expand rapidly with other corporations that have black ERGs, 90% of fortune 500 companies do and providing online uh, mental health program where we can talk about what is depression, what is bipolar, what is anxiety, what's imposter syndrome, how do you get work-life balance? And the brilliant thing I've been finding is that there are conversations around mental health that are happening there that I don't, that are probably not happening in very many places. It's a very unique hybrid of corporate culture so the black community is very diverse and black corporate America is its own very diverse. It's its own niche black experience. Um, mm -hmm. but they're very similar from corporation to corporation to corporation. Um, and is actually creating a, uh, basically getting more contracts to provide this service in these conferences with, uh, within corporate America. So that's just more of a bigger movement. And wanting to see uh, a few corporations or at least one fully take the charge and fully fund uh, them stepping forward and saying, we are willing to take on this mission of black mental health in corporate America. And we value it so much that we're willing to fund it and roll out the programs for it and, and really see that, that change happen. But then that be a beacon for the rest of corporate America on how important this is. So for the corporate standpoint, you're going to win because it's going to look great for your corporation because it's trending right now. And there's what better trend could you have than mental health and culturally, specifically mental health in the black community. It's an awesome opportunity to take leadership on. So really looking to create that high level partner, but also uh, just site partnerships across corporate America that offer these services and champion this movement. 
So those are the three things. One, individual psychotherapy for black men in corporate America. Two, the Golden Rhinos. It's a community for black men in corporate America. And number three, uh, targeting ERGs, which is a larger movement for all genders of black people throughout corporate America to promote healing. That's awesome. So I'm going to drop my last question. We always like to ask our guests to leave uh, uh, a pearl of wisdom. Um, hmm for our guests what, what would you leave for our listeners to think about yeah um uh get a therapist you know if you haven't got a therapist get one uh have the experience get on board now like it's go time let's get to it uh, ain't gotta be me not the only one uh find a good fit uh but if you haven't had the experience it's what's happening now get a therapist is what comes to mind and that's very direct so i could say in a softer gentler way of i'd you know i'd advise or recommend or suggest that you explore a therapist that can help meet your inner needs and improve your relationships and work dynamics and work balance etc but get a therapist get a therapist yeah get a therapist that's the t-shirt that's the t-shirt get a therapist get a therapist